welcome to another edition of the Slumgullion America's Only Podcast, or as it is translated into Hutties. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me are both Mr. and Mrs. C. Good evening or afternoon, folks. McClucky. Good, <laughs> Good PM. That is never, ever, ever going to get old. Yes, in case you are not one of the 10 million Americans or the rest of the world who haven't noticed yet, Disney Plus is quote-unquote active. And after many quote-unquote tries, we have both gotten it and we have all watched the first ever Star Wars live-action television series, The Mandalorian. And I just have to say right off the bat, Ewoks Caravan Courage was better. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I'm kidding, of course. We are talking about The Mandalorian. As a continuing theme with us, of course, is me and Scott bullshitting about Star Wars. And this time, Mrs. C has, of course, joined us because she also watched The Mandalorian. Before we get too big into spoilers, so yes, we are going to spoil. Let's just get some general opinions. Folks, what did you think of the first two episodes? I liked them a lot. I thought it was really cool. It was rich in Banthapoo and uh, McClunky, which makes a a terrific fertilizer and apparently a high-yield explosive. (laughs) It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Ever since that really transcendent moment of disappointment, it came... Uh, I'm going to say like in the first seven to eight minutes of uh, The Phantom Menace, (laughs) which was in some ways an eerie mirror image of the awestruck amazement and glee that I felt during the first few minutes of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that I was a kid. And in this case, I was an adult because I wasn't that young when Star Wars came out. And I wasn't that old when The Phantom Menace came out. Now I'm old and I expect to be disappointed. Life has made me its student to some life, degree. Uh, and to finds some, a way. Yeah, life finds a way to make me its bitch. And it has done so. So I had very low expectations, but it, it gave me hope that good new Star Wars is possible, and I'm not going to just have to keep clinging to those first three movies, or middle three movies, or whatever you want to call it. They're not just dry-humping the desiccated corpse of Star Wars. They're actually making sweet, tender love to it. And who knows? Beautiful children may result. Well, there's at least one beautiful child as well kid is. And oh my God, just take my money. Give me the plushie. It's coming. It's on its way. It has to be. If I actually have to go to to uh, that damn Batu outpost sky mall that, that they're calling a Disney man now to um, get one, then I will... Because holy fuck, that is one of the most adorable things I've seen since Gizmo. Yep. <laughs> Getting in right off the bat, one of the first things that just utterly made me go ooh was in that opening sequence, just the music as he walked into the goddamn bar. Mm-hmm. The music sounds so different. Ooh, I'm okay. I'm I'm into this right off the bat. Yeah. And of course, we finally, we, once again, we get to see someone cut in half on TV, which always makes me happy. 
Not that I'm somebody whose sole joy in life comes from watching traumatic amputations, but I was very happy to see Dave Filoni got to direct the first episode. He's a solid storyteller. He knows the Star Wars universe cold. And Disney owes him a a shot at live action after the way he pulled off Rebels. Plus, I was relieved to hear he was so deeply involved in this because that may explain why Rebels follow-up, Star Wars Resistance, has the lazy, half-hearted feel of a mid-80s sitcom clip show. And it's like, oh, you remember that time we all got trapped in the basement with Poe Dameron and we all just told, we all just traded exposition. The finale of Webster, a Webster wound up on the Enterprise. Okay, we're not going to go there. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, when, when that irising door cut the guy in half, I thought, okay, just because it's on a Disney streaming service does not mean that every single episode is going to be Lizzie McGuire. They're going to go. <laughs> You never saw the Lizzie McGuire episode where she wants on a dismemberment rampage? I've just seen the the gif. Okay, all right. And that that opening sequence gave us um, several, several deep cuts to um, Star Wars history. I mean, not only did we get a Life Day reference, but we also got the same weapon that the animated Boba Fett used to zap the animated dinosaur in the cartoon. Oh, right. There, there's there's a name for oh. it. Uh, it. It's some sort of single-shot breech-loading pulse rifle. Yeah, I mean, that's that's either something that makes you squee or roll your eyes, depending upon <laughs> what your personality is. The Life Day, I'm not going to lie, was a little bit of a roll, but I was like, okay, the, the, the idea itself isn't bad. It was just the execution. But no, the uh, the Pulse Rifle did make me squeal, though. I, that I can't lie. And something else that they added to canon here, rather I should say they, they expanded upon existing canon, is now if I ever find myself transported to the, to the Star Wars universe, I don't have to give up drinking. It's perfectly safe to go into any cantina that doesn't have live entertainment. Because... <laughs> Apparently, the music on the jukebox is fine. As long as you don't have, you know, scrotum-headed creatures or someone with, like, two-foot-long lips singing, <laughs> the music's fine. Just don't go on live music. Uh, and probably also I would avoid... Uh, open mic night. Open night mic, yeah. <laughs> and pr- probably Star Wars karaoke isn't, isn't much better either. But that whole first scene is just, it's willfully iconic. I'm amazed how much I still don't know about the character. I mean, we, we, we don't know his name, which is in keeping with the Sergio Leone... Clint Eastwood, man with no name, spaghetti western vibe of the show. Mm-hmm. We, we also don't know what he looks like since they're going for that Boba Fett, mad at mystery feel and because he never takes his helmet off. And we've never even heard his voice except through a, a vocoder. So for all we know, we're watching a different guy each week. And, and, and th- this isn't The Mandalorian. It's one of those wheel shows. You know, it's basically the Mandalorian version of the NBC mystery movie. You know, <laughs> What, one week it's like the the Columbo Larian. Next week's it's it's McMando and wife. Oh god! But at least we know, and this also made me squee that yes, he does use the toilet. Oh yes. Yeah, well, at least he's got one on his ship. Point taken. But just the fact that he has one, this is, in fact, I do believe the first time we have seen a toilet anywhere in the 40-some years of Star Wars existing. Yeah. That's true. It's only now I realize that I haven't really been holding my breath for this moment. (laughs) But it's it's (laughs) sad. I'm sorry. 
it's the same thing like it's the same thing like in Star Trek. I mean, you know what happens. You don't actually want to see it, but you want to see it. Please acknowledge it. Right. I mean, we saw the uh, the foldaway facilities on uh, Serenity fairly early on, if not the first episode of Firefly. So apparently, mm-hmm. apparently, the, the, this lack of uh, sci-fi plumbing is is hunted Joss Whedon too, not just you. <laughs> Now, just just so you know, folks, we're not going to get into uh, like a point by point analysis of the plot because there are plenty of places on the interwebs and plenty of YouTubers who are willing to do that. And also, a lot of people haven't, a lot of our listeners may not have haven't seen it. So while we're still going spoilers, we don't want to spoil everything for you. So um, we're still going to spoil, but we're going to try to be nice about it and probably fail miserably. That being said, let's talk about Baby Yoda. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, actually, the, you, you bring up something that, that made me kind of pity the people who've decided to recap the show. As you say, they're, they're sprouting up like toadstools all over the internet. Because so much of the characters and the backstory are a mystery right now. I realize it's actually hard to describe the show to someone who knows nothing about it and just asks you what it's about. I mean, you could go very many different ways with it. You could, in all honesty, say... It's about a guy who's very focused on his career, who suddenly finds himself changing a 50-year-old's diapers, <laughs> which, which makes it sound like either a lifetime drama about Alzheimer's or a German fetish video. <laughs> no, like I said to you and I said to someone on Twitter, I think this is the perfect way to at least describe the first two episodes. It's a Star Wars spaghetti Western version of Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, the Lone Wolf and Cub references was as soon as you said that. Oh, of course. Yes, I wonder if we're going to find out that uh, Antigrav Pram has weapons at some point. <laughs> oh, come on. We know Baby Yoda doesn't need weapons. Baby Yoda is powerful as shit. <laughs> he needs to take a big nap after he exercises his power. That was so funny. The way, the way he just sort of saved the Mandalorian, and then he just kind of fell into a coma. And, it, and he was just he's so cute when he sleeps. It's like, oh, he had a little too much force. that's a useful child care tip really again if you find yourself in the star wars universe next time if you're babysitting you can't get the kid down for a nap you don't have to put him in the back seat and drive around for an hour or or sit there jangling your keys until you want to scream just get him to mind hoist a rhinoceros and they'll be out like a lightsaber And I mean, what I think is hysterical, what I think is hysterical, and granted, I know this is all just for views and stuff like that and clicks, is people can't just watch the show. They have to stare and go, oh, oh, like there are some people who are going, this is actually, somebody said, this is actually Yoda and there's some time loop thing going on and which which we know that there is time travel because of the world between worlds from, from Rebels. Other people are saying that this Yoda is how they're going to clone Palpatine so he shows up again in Rise of Skywalker since everything is connected and I'm like why don't you just shut up and wait for it for God's Watch sake we're only show. two episodes in just enjoy the show right I mean <laughs> I, or maybe don't exhaust yourself with time loop technology just go oh well maybe it's Yoda's kid I mean Yoda could have banged somebody there was a female of his species oh right in, in Yaddle uh, Yaddle what, what was it called Yaddle Yaddle yeah. Jesus George, I'm is, not kidding. Hey, at uh, least it's better than Kit. It's better than Kit Fisto. That's all not, I'm gonna say. I, I disagree. Nothing is better than Kit Fisto. 
But um, <laughs> well, we know how you like to spend your Saturday nights. Yeah, I can't believe it's it's Yaddle. Yes, Yaddle makes me want to hit George with a paddle. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it makes her sound like a yenta. And make him go McClunky. Well, well, let to see. It makes her sound like she's a yenta. Actually, you know what? There was a um, <laughs> there was a Yiddish movie that starred Molly Picone made in like the early '30s called Yiddle Mitten Fiddle. Yiddle with a fiddle. So. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so I, so it's it's now canon that the female Yoda character in uh, Attack of the Clones was played by Molly Picone. Don't <laughs> no, don't at me. It's it's canon. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, let me just get my one bitch out of the way since it's the Slum Guyan, a safe place to bitch. I seem to remember part of the pitch for this show was them promising us new planets and new species and things we've never seen before. But by the first episode, we basically got Boba Fett and we're right back on Tatooine, judging by the presence of Jawas. I mean, I acknowledge that it's, you know, it's a lawless wasteland. It's probably a good place for Yoda nappers to hide out or anyone, really. I mean, Ben Kenobi hid out there for 20 years, although everybody seemed to know he was there. Everyone knew his name. You know, it was less like Casbah than than Cheers. But I, I actually, I, now that I think about it, I bet that's that's Tatooine's chief industry. Hiding out. There's probably a concierge that greets you at the spaceport. And how long will you be hiding out with this? Mm-hmm. And is it just you, or do you have a hostage? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I got to say, when, when he goes into that cave to get that furry egg, and um, and I don't I don't mean to kink shame, but this is the first time I've seen an egg that was also a furry. Um, <laughs> which, which means he didn't have to go into that cave. He could have just waited and grabbed it when it went to a convention. Um, but Mary saw that cave entrance and with its weirdly puckered look yeah. and said, oh, it looks like an anus. And I, I said, I just remember the discussion Jeff and I had, I think on the old show, it's like, yes, everything on Tatooine looks like an anus. You remember the Sarlacc? And yeah. that, by the way, according to Canon, Boba Fett is still dildoing his way down that thing. But it's that, I mean, that. Sorry, sorry, Sarlacc is just a big anus. I mean, it's that kind of thing. That kind of thing is the reason I always say it's clear George Lucas is in the butt stuff. <laughs> I, 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 I did not think of that cave as that until you just said that. Thank you very much for that visual image. Hey, thank the design. Oh, by the way, that's another thing. The concept art that they run oh. over the closing credits. Oh. I was looking at I this going. It. Why does the set look so familiar? And Mary says they're drawing it to look like Ralph McQuarrie, and she's absolutely right. All the all the concept art looks like McQuarrie drawings, Star Wars or Empire. It's yeah, that's that that is that is so 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 neat. And Doug Chang, who was one of the concept artists for the prequel trilogy, who's been around for a while, is another producer on the show. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, yep. I remember. I, I saw his name at the end of the second episode's credits, and I remember him because he was one of the primary people that they talked to in all of the um, behind the scenes for the uh, prequel trilogy. And he was he was one of their conceptual artists. I know he's a huge Macquarie fan. So it's, who, who knows? Another thing that I just absolutely adore is um well i i know we're going to be seeing him again which makes me very happy fucking Werner herzog yep he's hilarious i I mean it may be that he's not hilarious and that it's just the fact that it's Werner herzog which tickles me so much but he's like the last person you would expect to to pop up in star wars it's like if charlie bucket goes to willy wonka's factory 
And instead of Gene Wilder, it's like Sam Fuller sitting there chomping on a cigar. <laughs> well, you're going to see really... blood and guts, kid. You're going to see the you're going to see the ugly side of life. I really liked all of the the little cameos we saw, and they, that they may be recurring. I mean, Brian Posen. Oh right. Yep, well, yep. he's not going to recur. He he got he got blowed up real good. Oh, that's right. He did. And then was it Carl Weathers? Who will be back? He will be back. He will be back. I watched a uh, live stream that they did before the second episode aired with a lot of the cast and crew. And uh, uh, Filoni was there, of course. Favreau was there. Uh, uh, Pedro, whatever his name is. Pa- Pablo Escobar, Pedro, what is his name? Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal, okay. Uh, he was there. Werner Herzog was there. Carl Weathers was there. And one of the things that Weathers said was like on his first day of shooting – he, he said that like, they asked everybody the oh-so-important question, what do you remember of your first day of shooting? Or what was your first day of shooting like in a galaxy far, far away? And um, Carl Weathers' response was basically, I honestly don't remember it just because I got so into this. And he said his biggest takeaway was working with Werner Herzog. He actually has scenes with Werner Herzog. Oh. As I told Scott, I'm not even going to question what that means. I'm just going to enjoy the fact that we're going to have more of Herzog in the show. Yeah, and and just the fact that you've got the guy who made you know Agiri, the Wrath of God, the guy who was in Predator in the same scene. It's a kind of miracle, and uh, <laughs> you you could just sort of imagine someone saying, you know, get to the chopper, and Herzog going. The chopper will not save you. The chopper is really an illusion that you call upon when you are facing death, and death is inevitable. It's a life-day miracle. It's a life-day miracle. <laughs> exactly. It's a life-day miracle. The thing that I liked about uh, about Herzog scenes was there was just something very... I mean, okay, Grant, he was dressed as... You know, he was... Obviously, he's imperial, but there was something very creepy about him overall. Now, that might just be Herzog, but there was... I felt like I was watching, you know, Hannibal Lecter in Star Wars. Oh. Hannibal Lecter in Star Wars. Well... <laughs> There was just something about Herzog's character that I was like, okay, I don't know if he, I don't know if he wants to give this guy a job or eat him. <laughs> and I, 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 I kind of, I, I, I kind of liked that in a way. I kind of hope Herzog turns out to be the big bad of season one. Oh, I do too. I want to see more uh, about him, and I want to find out more. I'd like to find out more, not just about the bad guys, but about the. You know, actually, now that I think about it, we're going to need a new nomenclature for the people that the Mandalorian fights because everybody on this show is a bad guy. I, I even yeah. think I even think the the heroes a bad guy. I mean, really, the only person I would describe as a good guy that we've met so far is uh, Nick Nolte's Ugnot character. Uh, oh yeah, talking about Nick Nolte, I didn't even realize that it was him when I was watching the first episode. I thought the voice sounded familiar, but then I saw the name in the credit, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And like I told Scott, I want a T-shirt that says, "I have spoken on it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize. I mean, I recognized the voice, but as I said to Mary at the time, I go, "Oh, I, th- I think whoever is doing that voice does some characters in the Star Wars MMO that I played." Okay, I was shocked to see it was Nick Nolte. You know, it sounded like a like a fat up old guy but uh and i i really liked the performance they got out of him i would be shocked if if he mo-capped it but i'd like his voice work it was interesting i kind of hope we don't see him again right i kind of hope that was just that he's left that planet you know uh, now that he's got the quote-unquote asset he's left the planet and that character is gone if he has to go back to that planet in season two okay but like for the rest of this story let him he has spoken he has left he has gone yeah you know 
as much as I like the character, I was relieved when he turned down a job on the Mando ship because I really at that point thought, oh, okay, the show's basically going to be like the first few levels of a video game where you do a few tutorial missions and you recruit (laughs) characters who become your companions, like it's Mass Effect or Dragon Age or whatever. And it's not. And now I don't know what the structure of the show is going to be. And I am blissful in my ignorance. I want to know where things are going, but I don't feel like I'm in any way ahead of it. I don't. Mary, are you irritated by how little we know about anybody that everyone's just a big cipher so far? I'm actually not irritated by that at all. I think it's it's unfolding. I wouldn't be irritated at a flower that hasn't bloomed. Unless it was a corpse flower, and then you'd be irritated because it had bloomed. <laughs> exactly. So you are caught up in the, the pace of the show, and you're with it, and you it's unfolding at, at a rate which is keeping your, your interest peaked, and you don't feel yes. like you're... Okay. Well, I, I'm gathering that's what they're going for. I have to say... Favreau, as the auteur behind this, he's written both the first two episodes and he's got a creator credit. I feel like he's showing an enormous amount of restraint. There's so much confidence in this approach. It's like Solo, you could smell the flop sweat on Solo. (laughs) They were so desperate to grab you. Go, no, no, look, it's really good in the first few minutes. And then they were trying to keep the pace going. Here it's like... Come on this journey or not. I think it helps the fact that the, the episodes are like 30 minutes. I was just about to ask you guys this. This is I'm going to throw this out there. This is for both of you. Then um, the one a, a, a weird complaint that I'm seeing is that people are bitching about the length of them. That they're too short. Yes. You know what? Until you said it, I didn't even realize it. I assumed it was a typical network, 44 minutes. They've both been under 40. Yeah. One person said that they kind of felt that um, episode two should have been put at the end of episode one. Like that was the full first episode. And they said they they theorized that maybe Disney's like, you know, expanding the episodes by cutting them in half. Now, I mean, do, do you guys think they're too short? I didn't come to the end to go, oh, that's it. I mean, I, I wasn't bored. I could certainly have taken more. If they're under 40 minutes, I wonder if if Disney, which never leaves a nickel on the table, is planning ahead going, well, someday we're going to have this on Disney XD. And now we don't have to worry about what to cut for syndication. It's already basic cable ready. (laughs) But I I don't know. I would like to think that Favreau is making them as long as he feels they need to be. Um, That was my takeaway. I know like people started complaining about the end of the first episode. And I'm like, are you kidding me with that final shot? That was the perfect way to end the first episode. Yeah, as, as Mary said, it's uh, it's the Sistine Chapel. So it's God reaching out <laughs> oh, to us. Wow. Okay, I like that. <laughs> I like that. That that works. And then and then the, the second one, like that was the perfect ending. He's left. Okay, now we go on to the next spot. Exactly. I mean, the whole episode was him just trying to get off the planet. So they could have padded it, but I was fine with what he did to get off the planet. I didn't need more of that. And to make the episode longer, really all they could have done was have him take off, which, as you say, seems like a good stopping point, and then land on the next planet and then, what, open the door and then go, oh, crap. It's not Quantum Leap. <laughs> you know, we don't have to get to the next, the, the, the oh boy moment. Uh, oh, he's going to be in the 40s now. You know, it's <laughs> Oh, he's a woman in the 50s now. Yeah, oh, boy. Exactly. It's, I, I was fine. The getting into space completely satisfied me. Although I, I kind just... of... Ha- Having been conditioned by Firefly, I half expected like a piece of the ship to fly off. <laughs> I was just concerned that Baby Yoda does not have a spaceship seat. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure that little pram keeps him nice and cozy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got it's it's an anti-grav thing. I'm sure it has some sort of cushion around it. And if not, then the Mandalorian just better hope he doesn't get pulled over. 
Exactly. Going to get ticketed. Uh, <laughs> okay, so a uh, few more. Uh, another basically generic question. Favorite character so far, or most interesting character? Mm. Favorite character. Mandalorian. For me. For me, it was uh, it was Nick Nolte's Ugnaught. Okay, Mrs. C. What is it about the Mandalorian that makes him your favorite so far? Because we don't know who he is. We know he was orphaned and somehow got adopted by the the group of bounty hunters that raise kids to be bounty hunters. And uh, I did like I did like in that scene how they showed the um, how you, you saw the uh, battle droids from episode two. So you know this, that that happened during the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think it's I think it's interesting, and he's he's not like Boba Fett at all. Well, who knows what Boba Fett was like? Boba Fett, Boba Fett was a cipher. Yeah, like four was, lines of that. Yeah, and they were all just sort of complaining. He's no good to be dead or whatever. He, basically, he was just just a whiner who wound up in an ass. Why anybody ever thought he was cool, I've never been able to figure out. I think people just liked I think people, back then, I think people were just fascinated by the outfit. Yeah, I guess. For those who had not seen the Star Wars Holiday Special, they were all like, ooh, he's cool. Okay, Scott, what was it about the uh, Ugnulty that made you so happy? Well, you could see his face. That was helpful. <laughs> That's going to become a sticking point with you eventually, isn't it? Well, I'll, um, hmm. All right, just to sum up, because I don't want to make it a running thing, because I don't know how long this is going to go on. And if I can, if I bitch about it every show, I'll bore myself. I liked how he, he gets his ass kicked. I mean, he, he climbs up onto the sand crawler and then he gets tased by uh, a bunch of Jawas. Real fast interruption. I have to interrupt here fast. That, by the way, she's mentioning it from video games. That was a scene from Super Star Wars. Oh, really? The Super Nintendo video game. Oh, my God. Yes, you have to crawl up a Jawa sand crawler, and that shit happens. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that was a direct callback to the game, but that was so the um, one of the Tatooine sex parts of, uh, of, of the Super Star Wars game. Anyway, continue. I don't know if that if I think that's cool or it makes me mad. Oh, well. See, I'm a mystery even to myself. Um, <laughs> you're, you're more of a cipher than Boba Fett, Scott. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And I liked I liked that the Mando got his ass kicked by the space rhino and how instead of, you know, running like. I sure would have. He just pulled his pathetic, clearly ain't going to get the job done knife and stood there with a kind of a, well, let's do this shit sort of expression. Except he didn't have an expression because he has he never takes off the face bucket. We've never even seen his face, let alone seen an expression on it. And yet I still felt like I knew what he was thinking because Pedro Pascal is doing some amazing acting with just his body language. If indeed that is him and not, as you said earlier, it's actually Eddie Deason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, <laughs> it's just a pet theory that I'd really like to get out there and have it become an urban legend. You know, Pedro Pascal wasn't even in. Pedro Pascal's really dead. It's Eddie Deason in the Mando costume. Yes, if you if you unmodulate the voice from coming from him, it is in fact Eddie Deason's voice. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons now why, especially after the second one, now I kind of really don't care if we see his face except for one point. Because like you said, his body language in that scene, when he, when you, you knew he was accepting his death. Yes. You knew it. You knew it. He was like, okay, that's it. But I'm going to at least get one good shot in before I die. That, that sequence really impressed me. And that was when I went, you know what? We can tell what he's thinking. I'm kind of cool with the hell it being on for almost this entire thing. It would be nice to see his face, but I think now I'll be okay if we don't. 
Yeah, but they they got to be careful because if it goes on too long, then we finally do, and it's just gonna, it could be extremely underwhelming. It could be a will they, won't they type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Will you know, he? Won't he? Only his hairdresser knows for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure that we're going to see his face eventually. I just, I'm just like, you know, it it doesn't need to be a regular thing. I'm kind of, I, I, at this point, I hope he doesn't take it off like now every episode just to breathe or something like that. I kind of like the, it's adding to the, the mystique of the character and I'm kind of cool with that now. And, and, and you're right, entirely because of the way, at least at least from these first two episodes, the way that pa- Pascal's body language, I mean, you know exactly what's going on there. And that's, that is very difficult to do, and it's fucking working. And it's not like the dialogue is filling in a lot of the gaps, because he is, again, a Clint Eastwood, man with no name, man of few words. He's not into chit-chat. The way he confronted his death makes me think, okay, he's not some Mando poseur. You know, when he says, I'm not going to give up my gun, I'm a Mandalorian, guns are part of my religion. I actually believe that, rather than it just being an excuse. I believe he takes this stuff seriously. I believe he was raised in this culture. And if he does take the helmet off, it's going to be some for some big reason. Or someone else is going to take it off because he's unconscious and dying. Yeah. No, I, 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 think, I think, if anything, it's going to be the former now. Uh, hearing you talk about I, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes it off, it's going to be to, like, to show his face to somebody. Yeah, I... What if, like, his parents are still alive or his mom and he sees her? He was a child, though, in the flashback. So she she would be confused by, wait, weren't you on Narcos? <laughs> my favorite character I, I i don't know if we're going to see again but i really hope we do but so far my favorite character in the first two episodes has been ig11 the droid i fucking loved that droid everything about that droid made me so happy a that fight scene at the end of episode one was just fucking amazing mm. Uh, that 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 whole gun battle scene was fr- from this beginning to them blowing open that door. I was just okay. Thank you, th- thank you so much. This is this is Star Wars. Yes, but that I mean, Taika Waititi's performance was was funny. It was interesting. I I I, I kind of hope that somebody finds him and fixes him. Yeah, although as you pointed out, he's a droid, so there could be thousands of those models out there. Yeah, that have his voice. But I, I like it when it's the same droid because then they have the same personality. I mean, you, you know, there's other uh, C-3PO models, but you don't care because they have. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just want to hear the you shot me conversation. Exactly. And he can't even say you shot me when I wasn't looking because this is how cool the Mando is. He shot him when he wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They're both staring at the baby and all of a sudden, blam. There goes droid brains all over the place. And he didn't even look. It was like it was like a, it was like a Magic Johnson no look pass. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so, um, okay. <clears throat> Next question for you guys. And this is this is I am going to ask for a little bit of of theorizing here. Why do you think that this particular Imperial remnant or, well, obviously there were different factions since IEQ's mandate was just to kill the asset while, um, you know, the Mandos was bring him alive. But if it has to be dead, be dead. The scientist obviously wants him alive. Why Why do we think the scientist wants him alive? Well, here's something that's, here's one thing I did read online and I thought it was interesting and it got me thinking they said neither nick nolte or the mando seemed to know what the force was 
neither one of them seemed to understand what happened when Baby Yoda mind hoisted the thing. And the person was saying, well, how can that be in a Star Wars universe? How could they not have heard of the Force? And somebody else pointed out, well, this is how many, what, 40 years on after the end of the Republic or however long it was. He could have grown up and just not heard about it. But the thing is, if, if he's a Mandalorian, then he would have heard about the Jedi because the Jedi and the Mandalorian went, went to war. Yes. So, so that kind of didn't ring true for me. But but as you point out, there's different clans, there's different factions, there's Mandalorians on different planets. They're not a cohesive society that all live in one place. So they could have different stories and different boogeymen. And Agnot living on Tatooine, which was established as being way off the spaceways, outside both uh, Republic and Imperial control, might never have heard about it. So why would a scientist want? I'm not even going to theorize. I'm just going to say that I like the quality of the mysteries that have been set up because they're the kind of mysteries that raise a lot of other questions. And those are the best kind because the worst mysteries are ones where you, you get the answer and you go, oh, really, that's it? It's like having the most obvious or most uninspiring character be the murderer in a, in a murder mystery. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like you almost feel cheated. But if it's a mystery that, like, okay, we solved this, but it raises a whole bunch of other questions. Now, there's two ways to do that. And we've complained about this in the show. That it answers the question, but it really doesn't because it's, oh, yeah, but that's not the real mystery. The real mystery, these other things. And you go, well, I still don't know anything. And this was just a bait and switch. Or it's, yeah, this answers this. And if you want, you can go away now happy. But now that you know this part, you know that there's more to know. And I kind of getting the feeling just by the basic competence with which this story is being unwound that there's going to be a lot to it. And I'm going to get deeply into it. I'm going to be intrigued. I'm not going to guess, but I do wonder who the hell Werner Herzog is. And I think when I find out it, it, that's going to be the least interesting part, I'm afraid it's going to be like, well, he was an ex-Grand Moff or he, he was some sort of imperial whale whatever, and that the real interesting mystery is going to be why, why a scientist would want, have any interest in studying this mystical creature. Hmm. So, yeah, I, it's not one of those shows that makes me want, want them to hurry up and tell me to see if I'm right. You, you know, those kind of TV yep. serial mysteries? It doesn't feel like that. This is more like Scheherazade, you know, giving you a little piece of the story every night, and you come back the next night rather than kill her. I decided not to kill Scheherazade. I'd like to hear more. <laughs> and I just want to say, I am th very, very, very happy that Disney Plus decided not to binge the show. Yes. I'm glad they didn't give us all the episodes. I'm glad they're doing it weekly. So you can actually sit there and, and do things like this. I agree. And I have no clue why the scientist wants little Yoda. Here's the, here's the question. We don't even know if they know what, what the asset was exactly. That, that is very true. Another mystery, like like I mentioned earlier, who gave IG-88 the bounty, IG-11 the bounty? Right. Was it Berta Herzog or are there other factions or are there other factions who want Baby Yoda? We don't know this yet. Yeah. Again, I like how he's he's spinning this out. It, it has me intrigued. And I think that's one of the reasons they're not allowing you to binge it because it's such a mystery. And, and the mystery is is driving so much of the story and everybody's a mystery, including our title character. If they made it bingeable, there'd be spoilers all over. Yeah. You'd, you wouldn't be able to avoid them. Even if you don't want to find out, it would bubble to the surface. So I think this is the only way Disney could have done it. But uh, I also think it shows a certain amount of confidence because part of the reason they make shows bingeable is because they don't have confidence that people have the attention span anymore for event TV. And on, on streaming shows, it's not like your DVR reminds you like it does with broadcast TV or cable TV. If you don't remember that, that The Mandalorian comes out on Fridays, you wouldn't necessarily sign on to Disney. Plus, they're, they're still very much into that overnight rating model, even though it's completely outmoded. 
I think there was something in the Hollywood Reporter about it this week. How, how TV? Yeah, it's like three months now. They look at it or something like that. And it kills them. It kills them to take that long because they, they can't just make snap decisions about what to cancel or what to throw money at or what to throw advertising at. So with binge shows, it's like, well, we don't know if anyone's going to want this. Oh, look at the look! Look how many people watched it in a weekend. They they get their ratings. It's it's really for the convenience of executives as much as they say it's for the audience. I mean, I, I've been tempted to binge some things, but Mary is very anti-binging, so we, we rarely do. I think the only thing we ever, we've ever watched more than one episode of in a night was Glow, and those are 30 minutes long. Yeah. I will do, like, I, I tend to do, if it's a show that I binge, I'll do, like, maybe three or four episodes at a time. I'll do, like, half a season, then wait a few days, and then do the other half a season. It all starts to just blend together in my head, and I can't remember what's going on. <laughs> like I know with when The Witcher comes out in December, I'm not going to binge that. If you have the self-control not to binge The Witcher, I'll be very impressed because I know you're waiting for I, that. that. No, that that is that is my goal. I want to watch one episode every couple of days. Just uh, that that it's, that's we'll see if I stick to it, but but that is indeed my plan. But another thing I was going to say is the one thing that uh, you know, the one thing that I will give Disney for besides putting me on a list <clears throat> is that you know they've brought back water cooler television. Yes. Or well, I mean, the, it's well, it, it's all Twitter cooler television now. Well, but still, uh, I'm okay. Okay, oh, using an old metaphor, you know, I mean that they have they have they have brought the water cooler to Twitter. True. And I give them and I give them massive points for that. Okay, we're going to keep along with our usual theme here. It is time for fascinating, irritating on the first two episodes of Mando, Mrs. C. Okay, fascinating or all of the. Uh, unexpected actors that were in there. I thought that was very... I was like, hey! That's that guy. And, um, so I liked that. That was fascinating. I, I hope to see more. Because Scott and I even said Brian Posen, he must have been in geek heaven. Oh, God. And uh, I would like to see more little cameos like that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Irritating. Hmm. <laughs> uh, no females yet. How's that? That's actually a good point. I hadn't even yes. I hadn't even thought of that. That's a good point. It's I, a big I, sausage fest right now. It is. <laughs> we do know. We do know. I do know that there that, that there is at least one vagina in the show because I saw her on the uh, on the uh, Q and A stream. So there is at least one woman who will show up in the show eventually. Okay. Well, that that is MMA fighter Gina Carano, and I would advise you not to call her a vagina anywhere within her reach because she could literally <laughs> kill you. <laughs> oh, I, I, I saw that. I, I saw that. Which, by the way, on the stream, she was very, she spent a large chunk of it absolutely just praising everybody. She was scared shitless on this show. And, and she said everybody was just so nice and welcoming. And she was very nervous. And by the end of it, she was totally into it. She she was scared to death to do this thing. That's interesting. I wonder why. I mean, she was, um, she, she certainly stepped up in Deadpool. I, I think the way the way she put it was, well, this is Star Wars. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> She's not wrong. She she might have a feeling about the the same way we do. Yeah. Oh, it's Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Scott. Fascinating is um and it's literally fascinating because you get to pick them out and go, ooh, oh, I know what that is. So many of the visuals are clear references to other movies and other genres. The wide open vistas evocative of the searchers, like the the, the more than he seems baby in an anti-grav pram, accompanied by a deadly father figure, which, as you pointed out, is basically lone wolf and cub. And the extended ship welding sequence uh, in episode two that was an obvious homage to Flashdance. <laughs> I thought it was to 18. What, Mary? 
I thought that was an homage to A Team. <laughs> I of the works. That's see, that's why it's so rich because you can get different. Different people get different things out of it. <laughs> you could you could have the A Team music playing over that sequence. You could have what a feeling playing over that sequence, and they both would work exactly. Oh, now I'm gonna have to read it to both those clips. Damn it! You did it for Halloween. Exactly. Gonna have to give it the the improved by polka treatment. Um, <laughs> It's irritating. I, it's so minor. I mean, there's just sort of it was irritating only because I knew that it was going to be a joke that because it, he went through so much effort to get the egg. It, it, it came as absolutely no surprise that our antihero nearly gave his life. So a bunch of jaw was good at brunch. Yep. I knew. I knew. As soon as he got it, I go, oh, he's either going to break the egg or they're going to have a foof or something. I'm getting a sense of how these joke rhythms are going to work, which is fine because so much of the, the rest of the show is surprising or intriguing. Yeah, my complaints are trivial at this point. Uh, fascinating for me. It's kind of kind of echoes um, what you said talking about callbacks and things. Sort of what I find fascinating about this show, how is it's very obviously set in the Star Wars universe, but it has its own vibe it is very much its own thing granted the thing that it's taken from is from you know lone wolf and cubs or Leone, but still it is it is a very unique feel for star wars and that is something that we have not had in a long time i agree absolutely and yet as different as it feels it does feel absolutely like star wars to me yeah that kind of astonishes me that it, it's just so different and yet so the same <laughs> god that sounds horrible but you, you know what i mean with that um, irritating, this is going to sound cheesy, irritating to me has been the, the negative reviews of the show from people and trying to figure out what the fuck show they're watching. I do not understand some of the negative reviews, especially from people who are quote unquote longtime Star Wars fans. I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong, you're wrong, but still, I just, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what show they were watching because clearly they weren't watching the same thing I was. I haven't read any reviews, so. Oh, some of them uh, d- 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 do not die. Do not dive into that black hole, honey. <laughs> I won't. So you're just going to sit there and go, the fuck? I'm just going to end up in in a hellscape in a robot's body. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, you will be Manborg. I mean, much like I did when I when I did my deep dive into um, anti Star Wars fandom. Once I found that, uh, remember that uh, manifesto I found, Scott. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Once I went into the deep dive, when I discovered that it's another one, it's another one of those rabbit holes that I'm just like. But this time, it doesn't. It, this, unlike that, though, this isn't making me angry like you people are idiots. It's more of a, what did you see? How 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 are you not getting why this is so cool? I feel like people like that have already seen the show or the movie in their head before it came out. And when it comes out and it's not the movie in their head, they're very angry because it's not the movie in their head. And none of us have seen the movie in their head, nor would we probably enjoy the movie in their head. But that's why I always try to tamp down my expectations. Not necessarily because I'm afraid afraid of being disappointed because, um, you know, George Lucas popped that cherry a long time ago. Right. I mean, there's bad storytelling and there's bad audiencemanship. And people who go into a movie or a TV wanting not just to be entertained, not wanting just a good experience, but wanting specific things from their headcanon, they're being bad audiences and they deserve 
the disappointment that they get. There's nothing I, I, I don't watch these because they irritate the fuck out of me, but there's nothing worse to me than cruising YouTube and seeing ten things blank must have. Oh yeah, I've never I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I've never clicked on one of those videos. Good for you, man. Good for you. All right, before we sign off, any final thoughts that aren't McClunky? Yeah, I thought it was McClunky. Have I been mispronouncing it all these years? Sorry, I was thinking Lee McCluskey. Yeah. <laughs> There's a deep cut for you. I got Mississippi. <laughs> I liked how Salacious Crumb, his species, has become uh, food. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I did get a big giggle out of that. And it was, and it was the best part about that joke, it was a, a Kowakian or whatever, how, whatever that pronounced, a howler monkey on the open fire. It was the other one in the cage watching it turn. Yeah. That was the thing that I was, oh, that is so wrong. But God, I love it. Yeah, that, that turned it from just a, a sight gag to um, actual animal cruelty. <laughs> well, not 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 actual animal cruelty. This is not an Italian zombie film. It's true. Still, I, I, I'm actually hoping that they weren't roasting Salacious B. Crumb. I'm hoping Salacious Crumb was in the cage watching the roasting going, I'm about to become a crumb kebab. <laughs> That was his mama. There we go. Let's make it really horrible. Salacious Crumb was watching his own mother being burned to death. Okay. Uh, all right. N- now we're getting to mid-80s Italian cannibal film levels. So, <laughs> Find me a turtle. All right, folks. <laughs> There's a deep cut for you. All right, folks. Mr. and Mrs. C, thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to talk about The Mandalorian with both of you. I think what we should do is we should do it, do another one of these uh, about a month from now, for the next two episodes of Aired. Sounds good. Or two weeks from now, so that way we'll get two episodes under our belt. So we will have, in two weeks, we got another regular edition of the Slumgullion coming. We're going to have another Mandumian, Slime, Slumdorian, Slumdorian. Slumdorian. I like Slumdorian. Slumdorian. There we go. We'll have another episode of that coming um, from Ohio and from California, all the way to Denmark. Later.